You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Um, but really excited if I haven't met you yet. My name is Josh. My wife, Katie, and I are the lead pastors here. And uh, man, just excited. Uh, excited to, to bring you a word. I'm going to talk today just kind of in a gap. My wife finished, oh my goodness, did she ever finish our Fearless series last week and just killed it. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It was it was insane. People were telling me like, she needs to speak every month. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm not the reason she's not speaking every month. <laughs> you go tell her. Tell her. Uh, but so gifted and anointed. I'm so thankful for her. I mean, my goodness. It's. I mean, we already knew that, but just amazing. So uh, I'm excited. Like Gianna said this week, the adoption of our son, Henry Duke Wisebrode, was official. So we're so excited. Uh, man, it's crazy to think he joined our home. I was thinking about this in first service. Uh, he, he joined our home uh, right when everything shut down for COVID. So like he got into our house and then the NBA canceled. You guys remember that day where the NBA was like, we're not playing. And everyone was like, oh, Okay, if they're not playing, maybe the virus isn't either. Like, something's happening here, right? And so uh, we got him, and so it has been seven months since he's been in our home, which is crazy. Y'all, we've been in this for seven months, which I said in first service, I'll say in this service, just kind of like take a deep breath, and uh, yes, you've been dealing with this garbage for seven months, right? Like your internet feed's been a joke. Some of you guys, you've been just fighting it, trying to pay bills, struggling, uh, trying to keep a job, find a job, leave a job, all, all sorts of things. And I got to say at some point, like, it has been a wild, a wild season, right? And uh, so I, I felt like today, as I was reflecting on the past couple months, I really felt like God was calling us to talk about the goodness of God, and what that really means. So I want to start today. I want to pray, and then uh, I'm going to share two scriptures with you before we start. But would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here with us right now. And I pray that our hearts would be open to what you're speaking, that our lives would be transformed by your word, and that we might become more aware of your goodness today, this morning, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. I want to read to you two scriptures. They're going to be on the screen, but let's just jump straight into it this morning as we talk about the goodness of God. Next week, we're going to talk about um, angels and demons. We're going to talk about the devil. We're going to talk about, uh, man, like everything you can imagine, uh, not everything you could speak on because we don't have enough time for that. We only have seven weeks, um, but we're going to speak on all kinds of things. I'm really, really excited about it, but today, goodness of God. Here it is. Uh, Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9. It says this, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Okay, second verse. Psalm 34, verse 8. One of my favorite pieces of Scripture. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I love that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That literally means come experience the delight of the Lord. Come and, and taste, try, experience how good God is. So my encouragement to you today, regardless of how you're walking in here, is to take the next three hours as I'm preaching— I'm sure some of you are just so worried. You're like, you invited me to a church. It's going to last forever. No. Take the next 30 minutes— 30 minutes. And just taste and see that the Lord is good. And if it tastes bitter, fine. Spit it out. But I believe because I know the Lord that His goodness is good all the time. And so come and experience. God is good. I, I love that. God is good. You know, we sing songs about that. We sing a song, uh, you are good, you are good. Oh, oh. And that's the whole, that's the whole chorus. It's a good song, though. <laughs> um, we're going to sing a song at the end. And it talks about your goodness. And it talks about the goodness of God. Lots of songs about the goodness of God. I don't know if uh, you grew up in the church or you spent time in the church. I, I hadn't heard this in my life until I got older. And the first time I heard it, I was visiting someone's church, and it happened. And I was surprised because I felt like I was supposed to know, and I didn't know. And so I felt, I don't know, 
very unspiritual. But I'm going to say it, and you're going to understand, those of you who've been in church a long time. But those of you who have not heard this, um, don't feel odd, because I'm the pastor of this church, and I spent most of my life not hearing it. But when you hear it, you're going to know how to respond. Those of you who grew up in church, trust me, you're going to know. It sounds really vague, but you're going to know. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? We're good? Ready? Okay. God is good. Okay, see, you knew. It was super vague till that moment. And those of you who don't know, you're like, what? You're like looking at the back of the connection card. Like, is this, are we doing call and response? Well, the church used to do call and response all the time because there used to be involvement. And that was like what we did. Uh, we do less now. Um, but, you know, we should probably bring it back. But that was it. You say, God is good. And then I would say all the time. Okay, the first time it happened, I was like, what? Just like you. So we're on the same page. But that's something that the church used to do all the time. They would meet, and then the pastor would get up, and the first thing he would say is he would say, God is good. Oh, and then he would say, come on, guys. Shoo, shoo, shoo. Or something. He'd wipe his head. God is good. And all the time, God is good. And that's like a classic, a classic in the in the church kind of world. So if you if you go visit your grandma, you go back home, you're gonna you're gonna fit right in at her church um, if they do that, and if I guess if they speak English. But God is good all the time, all the time. With God is good. I think that's a great phrase, but sometimes does it really feel like God is good all the time? Now, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, but all the time I don't always feel all the time like God is good all the time because I don't feel good all the time. Anyone with me? Right? Like, I know that it's true, and it feels good to say, but sometimes, man, it's tough. Because some situations do not make me feel like God is good all the time and all the time that God is good. Sometimes it feels like all the time the bills are just always here. All the time life is tough. Life is tough all the time. Right? Sometimes we're in that season where it is more difficult to recognize the goodness of God because of the struggle or a situation. And I think as I've been meeting with people, I think a lot of people are in that season right now where they, they desire and long to recognize the goodness of God. But their season, if they're really being honest, would be like, I, I'm struggling to see and understand and know the goodness of God. That's the great tension, right? God is good all the time, but right now, my life, it doesn't feel so good. I'm struggling to feel it. But can I encourage you this morning, and I'm going to explain more on this idea, but God's goodness is greater than your circumstances, that it can actually transcend your situation, that God's goodness is not defined by what you're facing or struggling with or fighting against. It's not defined by your failures. It's not defined by your shortcomings. It's not defined by COVID. It's not defined by this season. It's not defined by your job. God's goodness is greater, and that is not to diminish your struggle. Hear me this morning. That that is not to diminish your circumstances. That is not to diminish your hurt and pain, but to give God the great and, and, and obvious clarity of his mighty power. It's not to say that this is less, but to say my God is greater, that his goodness is greater. This feels pretty great, pretty big, pretty overpowering in my life, and yet God is greater than that. Yes, the COVID season, it's hard for me in that season to say God is good all the time and all the time God is good, and yet God and his goodness is greater than any sickness, is greater than any disease, is greater than any. So the, so the key for me is not if God is good, but how do I live in awareness of God's goodness when the season, the time of life, the struggle is not really, doesn't really feel like it to me. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. If in that mode, you come in, the band's like feeling it. You're like, nope. <laughs> no, no. Alec looks pumped. Jana looks excited. I am not. <laughs> if I uncross my arms, you better consider yourself blessed, worship team. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I gotta look outside when I say those ones. I'm just, I look out here when I say those ones, so no one thinks I'm singling anyone out, unless someone's walking by in that moment they hear me, and then they come to church and get saved. And amen. <laughs> but today I want to talk about the goodness of God. The big question is, how do I become aware of God and His goodness even in my difficulty when I'm pursuing Him, when I'm struggling? How do I become aware of God's goodness in difficulty? And I feel like to start, we should probably define and I should probably explain what I mean by God's goodness. What is 
God's goodness. What is goodness? Let me give you a definition. God's goodness is the perfection of his nature and moral excellence. That'd be like a blanket definition. God's goodness is the perfection of his nature and moral excellence. Let me explain what that means. The goodness of God can be conceived in essentially terms of God in himself, that'd be ad intra, God in who he is, and God's work in creation, ad extra, right? God in, in what he does, in his creation, in the surrounding. And we kind of have to understand what it means to be good. So what does it mean for a thing to be good, for something to be good? Does it mean it's nice? Oh, no. What does it mean for something to be good? Like, how do we know if this mic stand is good? How do we know if it's more good than another thing? How do we know if it's completely good? Because it doesn't fall on Alec or electrocute him, right? When that's good, amen, we want to keep our worship pastor. How do we know if it's good? How is a thing good? A thing is good to the extent that it is all it can and should be. You know what another word for that is? Perfect. A thing is good in the extent that it is all it can and should be. A perfect mic stand is completely good, right? It's doing everything it was created to do. When God creates the world, what does he step back and say? It's good. Meaning, I've created it. It's perfect. When he steps back and he looks at man pre-sin, he says, it's good. It's doing all that it was created to do and to be. It's good. It's called being perfect. And since God is infinitely perfect and completely perfect, then God is completely good. I know, I'm a philosophy major, so my brain is trying to go this way. Some of you who are also, you're thinking of rebuttals really quick, and I love that. It's great. But collectively, let's stay together here and say, if good is basically perfection in the sense that something is good, in the sense that it is all that it ever can and should be, then God is infinitely good. God is all that he ever can and should be. It's unchanging. It is. God is good. Hear me. God isn't just doing good. God is. Literally, his being, who he is, his character, everything. God is goodness. He is goodness. Which means that God is good all the time. Right? We say, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. That's actually true. God is good all the time. Because His goodness is perfect, it means that there's never a, a moment that He's not good. Because there's never a moment He's not perfect. So there's never a moment that God is going to do something that is not good, be something that is not good, say something that is not good, direct you in a way that is not good, lead you in a way that is not good, have promises that are not good, have creations that are not good, have, have love that is not good. Everything about God is good. He's good all the time. His essence is identical with goodness. Are you still with me? He cannot be anything else but good forever and ever. He cannot be anything else but a good father forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He can't be anything else. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Look at this. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not vary or change. He's good forever. All the time. God is good. But I love it that it's not just who he is. It's also an overflowing attribute. Okay, let's define goodness of God. Goodness of God is not just who he is. It's an overflowing attribute. Did you know the goodness of God is non-static? It's not just like he's good, but he does good. Because he's infinitely perfect and infinitely good, he also does good. This is important. God does good things and only good things. I know um, in, in our mindset, we sometimes think, like, yeah, of course, like, God does. But listen, this is not like a culturally and historically held idea that God or a deity would do good things. Traditionally, we go all the way back to the ancient Near East. If we move all the way forward, even into modern times, into pagan religions of all kinds, the idea that any kind of deity would be constantly and consistently good would be so foreign. So foreign. 
Gods mostly work for their own benefit in, in the false god paganism sense. Work for their own benefit. Work for their own purpose. Work for their own goal. Gods do all kinds of things. They're deceivers. They're trickers. They, uh, they do evil. They transform into, like, Zeus transforms into a man who sleeps with a woman who has a kid, and then he wants to eat the kid, and then, like, poops a planet or something. You know, there's all kinds of things that happen in these religions, and they rarely are for the good, the good of somebody. They are rarely consistently good. But God, the true God, the God of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the only way to heaven, the only way to eternity, the only way to salvation through Jesus Christ, that God is good and does good things. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. This means if everything God does is good, then all that He does is good, meaning His love is good. You're never going to get bad love with God. It means His justice is good. It means His justice is never going to miss the mark. It's never going to get the wrong thing. His justice it means His mercy is good. It means all of His things are good. You can go through the list, right? All that God is, is good. And all that He does is good. His goodness can be seen in creation. can be seen in His providence. can be seen in all that He does. God is good. But what I love about God's goodness is that it is based on His character, not our circumstances. Unlike any other God that's defined by human hands and created by human hands to altars built by human hands that will dissolve and die and wipe away. God is not, neither, he is neither created by us nor defined by us. Thank goodness. His character is defined by him and his goodness is defined by his character. So God's goodness is based on his character, not our circumstances. This is crucially important. We are imperfect people living in an imperfect place. God is perfect. So we experience brokenness. We do broken things. We do sinful things. I do sinful things. I do broken things. But God is perfect. This is the hardest one to grasp, I think, because so much of our world is defined by us. In a postmodern world where we have become God, where we have taken the role of Godhood of our life and our authority, where we falsely uh, 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 try to ascend to the throne in, in a sense of Godhood and understanding everything uh, in this tragic, tragic, depressing spiral of postmodernism, we struggle to imagine that there is something defined outside of us. Well, I can't define it. So it can't be. Well, that's very bold. But God's not defined by you because he was around before you. He'll be around after you and he will exist for eternity. He's defined by who he is. But it's so important because that should be good news to us. Because in the storm, he's still good. In the victory, he's still good. In the struggle, he's still good. It's his character. And that gives me confidence because in my failure, he's still good. Right? In my shortcoming, he's still good. When I feel like I've messed it up beyond all recognition, beyond what I could ever imagine, God is still good. When I feel like, man, I missed the mark, man, I didn't measure out, God is still good. Right? It transcends my circumstance, though. I can't see over the wave that seems to come to crash against my life in this moment. God is still good, and he is not threatened by my situation. My difficulty doesn't define whether God is good or not. His character does. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Whoa. For he cannot deny himself. Think on that. If we're faithless, God is still faithful because God is still good. God will always be faithful. It's who he is. It's his character. But I love that God is not just good in like a vague sense. Like God's goodness is not like this cosmic grocery line where if you pick the right one, you get into his goodness and you move faster. So every decision, you got to stand back and hope you get the right lane with the fastest checker. God's goodness transcends just a vague sense because God intimately cares for each of us. So God isn't only good. God is good to us. Hear me. God is good to you because he cares for you. He's not just like good and you happen to be in the equation today. He's good to you because he cares for you.
Matthew 7, 7 says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Based on our perspective in your situation, this might be the hardest thing to hear, but God is still good, and God is good. And I want to encourage you today, if you really are struggling to see the goodness of God in your situation, your perspective doesn't compromise his promises in your life. Just because you can't see it, he's not like, well, that erases all the promises that I've made. Just because you, you're struggling to see it, God doesn't like shame you, blame you. He just says, listen, my promises are still true, and I know you. You're my child, and I trust that as you step into that loving relationship, you'll see it again. But I love this. God is, here, here's some ways God is good for us. If you're struggling to see it, let me give you a couple ways that God's good to us. I wrote them down here. If you bring your hurts to him, he is compassionate. If you follow him, he leads you in the right direction. God is good to us. If you get confused or wander away, he will find you and bring you back. God is good to us. If you fail or fall, he rescues you and sets you on the road to recovery. God is good to us. If you trust him to save you, he will keep his promises to do just that. God is good to us. He is hope to the hopeless. God is good to us. He is life to the dead. God is good to us. He is healing to the sick. God is good to us. He is peace to the weary. God is good to us. He is strength to the weak and hurting. God is good to us. It might not look like you imagine in certain situations or seasons, but God is still good, and God is still good to us. But so often, let's just be honest, our situation can steal away our perspective of God's goodness with other things and distractions, and all of a sudden we struggle to see the goodness of God. Even if, like, we know it, we're still struggling to believe it. Believe it in our situation. There are things in our life that rob us of being aware of God's goodness, and I, I want to share those with you. Are you still with me? Amen? Okay, here are a couple things. Ready? Things that try to rob us from recognizing God's goodness. If you're taking notes, write it down. First thing that tries to rob us from recognizing God's goodness, number one, comparison. Comparison will distract you and rob you from recognizing God's goodness in your life. I remember, um, do we have any Star Wars fans here? Any Star Wars fans? Let's go. Star Wars fans, amen. Um, I, I, uh, I like Star Wars watching it with my daughter. Because uh, she really likes Ray, and uh, it's cool to see. Uh, but I, when I was a kid, I was a huge Star Wars fan, and I remember as a kid uh, getting up early to go to Toys R Us to get in line to go in and get the right toy after they stocked. And you had to do that like power walk where you care but you don't. I'm not going to do it right now, but you care but you don't care. So you got to like fast walk down to the aisle. You guys know what I'm talking about, but not run because it's a store. Anyway, so I saved up uh, all, like, uh, for a while for this toy, and my buddy, I had another buddy who had, like, every Star Wars toy. He had, like, the Death Star that, like, opened up and all these other things. It's like, if there was a thing happening in the late 80s, early 90s, he had the toy. Like, every Ninja Turtle and, like, the ship and the shapes and Star Destroyers. Like, I, it was just all over the place. Like, every, every pop culture thing he had. And so I was, like, trying so hard to get a very specific toy because there was a couple hard-to-find ones. If you're a Star Wars, you know this when you were a kid. It was uh, Boba Fett— very hard to find Boba Fett and Chewbacca. Very hard to find Chewbacca. He's really popular. I don't know. Um, and so I, I got to Toys R Us. I found, I went, went back to, the, you know, I power walked back to the aisle and I found the Boba Fett and I like held it so close and near to my, my heart. Like I was, it was like prison lunch. Someone was going to come and just snatch it out of my hands if I didn't like get around it. It was like, I don't know. It was like, you know, suburbia. Like, who cares? Uh, but, so I'm like holding this thing. I get home. I'm like, I gotta go to my buddy's house. And so I go over to his house, and I pull up Boba Fett. Like, man, I'm gonna show him. Like, I just got the coolest toy. This is the coolest thing. And as I pull up Boba Fett, he's like, oh man, you'll never imagine what I got. I was like, what'd you get, man? Because of course you get everything. And uh, he pulls out this Chewbacca. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then he pulls out, if, if, you know, this is my childhood. Just go with me. Uh, he pulls out a Darth Vader action figure with, like, the long lightsaber and the helmet that comes off. 
guys. In that moment, I was devastated. Like, that Boba Fett was, like, worthless to me. I was like, I was like, what? Right? Like, you get everything, man. How come you get everything? I got this one thing. Of course you got to get two. You get everything. That's the comparison trap, right? It's like this thing that was such a blessing is now nothing because someone else got something different than me. Some of you are like, well, I didn't even have that as a child. Well, welcome to the comparison trap. You're not comparing yourself with me, so you're here with me too. <laughs> doesn't matter how much or how little it is. We've all lived in that space of comparison, and it will rob us of seeing the perspective of God's goodness. We're just in that space of like, God, how come they got this? God, how come they have that? God, how come they have this, and I have nothing? Lord, how come they have this, and I'm over here and, and doing my thing? I'm serving faithfully. How come they have this? And, and like, look, do you not see me? Do you not see? Like, look at my clothes. <laughs> like, like, how do they go shopping every week? I got nothing, right? You know what I'm talking about, the comparison trap? Okay, let's let scripture emphasize it. Matthew 20. I'm going to read a scripture to you. Ready? Okay, good. Matthew 20, verse 1 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. Whatever's right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again in the sixth hour, the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. He said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Okay, context here. Because I've, I've never worked in a vineyard, so I've got to distill it down to where I've worked. Let's say you're working, you know, um, let's say you're working at Safeway, and you're starting early unloading the stock. And then the uh, manager comes in, he's like, hey, these guys are going to start with you at about noon, right? And you're like, okay, great. And then manager goes out, gets a couple more guys, brings them in about three. And then you're about to finish your shift. He comes in, brings one guy for like the last hours. Like, hey, man, my nephew's going to work with you. Is that cool? They're like, yeah, okay. You would all have a base assumption, right, of wages currently. I've been up here since 3 o'clock in the morning. Your nephew just got here. I better get paid. Here, but here's what happens. It says, And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. That was the same amount he promised the first people. Just a reminder. Now, when those he hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Hmm. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you made them equal to us. And have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Lord, how come they're married, or they have a spouse, or they have a boyfriend, or they have a girlfriend, and they're not even serving you, and I'm serving you, and I'm alone? God, how come they are over here living, doing their thing, and making money, and I'm over here serving faithfully, and I'm broke? God, how come? How come they're healthy, and I'm sick? God, how come they have the newest thing, and I have the oldest? God, how come their car is running great, and my car's always broke. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Comparison over and over and over again in this trap of rather than looking at the goodness of God, we begin to compare what he's given somebody else to what he's given us. And it's, oh man, it's a trap. It's a snare. Some of you, I, I want to give you advice real quick. I want you to just take it and receive it. But it's not for everybody. So if it's for you, receive it, walk away with it. If it's not, leave it. Some of you, um, the best thing you could do today, the most spiritual thing that you could do today that would transform your walk with Christ, is you should go home and you should delete all of your social media immediately. I'm not like anti-social media, but some of you need to be for the sake of your soul. Just a suggestion in your life delete your social media because you spend all day not using it as a tool to proclaim what God is doing, but looking at what God is doing in other people's lives. Scroll, 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 scroll. That's why they give you infinite scroll. You are the product they're marketing. 
comparison, the longing, the envy, the, oh my gosh, I, I wish I could go here. I wish I could go on this vacation. I wish I could go to this thing. I wish I looked like this. I wish I had these clothes. I wish my family was like so perfect like this, even though it took 12 hours to get this photo. I don't see any other part. I'm like, wish I had that. Wish I had that car. Wish I had this thing. And it's comparison. You're not even looking at what God has done in your life. You're looking at what you think God has, might have done in other people's lives. But I just want to encourage you, you might have more purpose if you didn't have Pinterest. You might have more influence if you didn't have Instagram. And you might have more fellowship if you didn't have Facebook. I think it's a great tool. But if it has become your master, go home and delete. Delete, delete it. Throw it away so that you can recognize the goodness of God. And when you learn to recognize the goodness of God, fine. Then, then use it to spread the truth of what God has done. But if it is leading you into a comparison trap, if you go to bed scrolling through Instagram, looking at all of the different things that you don't have, can I tell you you're missing the goodness of God? You say, I, I don't know if you can know that. Scientifically, we can know that. That we're missing it because of the comparison. I just want to encourage you, man. God is doing too many good things in this church, in this city, to miss it comparing yourself to somebody on Instagram. There's too many good things going on. And I know you might be in the struggle, and so the easy thing is to look at, like, someone's trip to Tulum or Iceland. I guess you can't go anywhere now, so maybe their car or their clothes or that, like, they lost 15 pounds of COVID and you gained 15 pounds. And so go through every, like, fitness inspo account. You know what I'm talking about. But, man, just allow your heart to rest and what God has done and remove this unhealthy trap of comparison. Okay, second thing, conflict. Conflict. It's hard to recognize uh, God's goodness when you're always angry at somebody. You're not this way. I'm not this way, of course. But anybody know anybody <laughs> that uh, is always upset about something, like always like enraged, maybe they should delete their Facebook too. <laughs> Like, always upset, always at odds with somebody. It's hard to recognize God's goodness when, like, you're always just mad at everyone. You're always upset at everybody. Proverbs twenty two twenty four says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Anger is a snare. Being emotionally locked in a conflict is a snare. Constantly upset, constantly at odds with people will rob us of seeing God's goodness. Okay, third thing. You still with me? Okay, continual sin. Continual sin. That nagging sin. Man, if you've ever heard uh, Come Now Found, one of my favorite songs. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Like, Yo, that's, anyone's heart been there? Like, prone to wander, Lord, if it, bind my wandering heart to thee, right? Continual sin. James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Continual sin, it does this. It makes us ashamed, so we feel like we cannot approach God and experience His goodness because we don't deserve a good God, because we deserve to live in shame. It, we sideline ourselves from recognizing the goodness of God in our life. Can I tell you, repent, release it, get rid of it. Get accountability in your life to build structures so that you don't return to it. But man, repenting of that and releasing it is so freeing because you begin to recognize the goodness of God when you're not plagued by the shame of nagging sin. Fourth thing, comparison, conflict, continual sin. Fourth thing that can really rob us from recognizing God's goodness is complaining. Complaining. Some people, there is always whining about something, and it is a distraction. Some of you, you struggle with a negative streak. Let's call it that. Like, maybe a little prone to, to being a little negative. Something comes up, somebody does something, our response is maybe a little negative. But that grows. That grows into an attitude where just nothing is good enough. Usually it grows out of a place where you don't feel like you're good enough, so nobody else is good enough either. But this idea that nothing is good enough, there's always something to complain about. There's always something to nag about. I've had someone came up to me, and they're like, Pastor, we preach too much on the love of God. You need to preach on the judgment of God. I was like, okay. Uh, 
And I was like, well, next week we're preaching on um, repentance, and, you know, we're going to talk about that there. So I preached on repentance. They said, Pastor, they came up to me again, Pastor, actually they called me, we preach too much on, you know, repentance and sin. We need to preach more about mercy. I'm like, all right, you know what? I can't win with you, which is, which is adapted to one of my favorite wheel, rules. The squeaky wheel is just the squeaky wheel. People say, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. No, the squeaky wheel is just the squeaky wheel. It always squeaks, right? If you have that friend in your friend group just always squeaking, always complaining, always whining, at some point you need to put some emotional boundaries in there because if you're one of those people or you surround yourself with those people, what can happen is you begin to miss the goodness of God displayed both in creation and in divine providence because something is always wrong. Something is never good enough. When we look at Israel uh, in the desert, you know, Israel, they escaped from Egypt. They're miraculously led out from Egypt, and they're in the desert, and they're hungry. So they cry out to God, God, give us food. And so he does, miraculously from heaven. Think on that. Like, I'm hungry. And God's like, oh, and just ravens and bread and meat, right? He provides for them. But what immediately happens is what? They start grumbling and complaining about something that none of us have ever seen. Um, if you've seen it, let me know after service. I'd love to hear about your experience. I have never seen food fall from the sky that, you know, hasn't been personally shot out of the sky, right? Like, hasn't been forced out, right? <laughs> Other than that, I haven't seen that happen. That's amazing. But Here's what happens. Psalm 106 tells us, They despised their pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in his tents and did not obey the voice of the, voice of the Lord. Isn't it crazy how quickly your miracle can turn into murmuring? Let me give you an example. My son we just adopted, he's amazing. He's like the cutest kid uh, along with my daughter. I got to learn how to say those things that I have two kids. You can't just like praise one or else the other one gets a complex. Um, he's... One of the cutest kids that I have. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Um, but uh, I love that kid. I've been praying for him uh, even before we ever met him. We've been praying for years for adopting. Uh, but yesterday, I thought, wow, this is hard. <laughs> and I was very frustrated with my kid. And if I'm going to be honest, I was complaining a little bit about my children. I don't know if parents ever complained a little bit about your children. Like, why, Lord? Take the storm from my side. <laughs> like, I've asked three times, and yet he persists putting mud in his sister's hair. Um, and I thought about that, though. Man, here, I thought about it on the way to church this morning. I said, here is this child that was a miracle. Then it, how quickly I ended up complaining about him. Not like I brought my request to the Lord. I was complaining. And I think so often complaining can rob us of recognizing the goodness of God. Uh, I said in first service, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I get to about September, and I have to delete Zillow off my phone. If you lived here long enough, you know why. Because it's a million degrees. It's been a million degrees for forever. And I think, like, there's got to be grass somewhere. <laughs> and so I just start going on Zillow looking for homes. I'm, ne I'm never going to move. I'm never going to leave here ever in my life, I hope. I never want to move again, like, ever. Uh, and this is my church and my family, so... I don't plan on it, but I get a little complainy, and I was outside, and I was working, and I think I was breaking concrete or something, and I cut my hand open pretty hard, and I came inside, and I was mad, and you know, um, maybe the other person, but I was just angry, and I was like, ah, oh, man, it's so hot. Every day is a million degrees. It's a million degrees outside. It's a million degrees in here. Why are we saving electricity? Like, let's just bring down the AC. It's so hot. Everything's hot. Every day is hot. It's going to be hot forever. I'm going to die being hot. They're going to lower me into the grave sweating. The last thing I'm going to do is sweat because I'm just dying and hot. And then I go online, and everyone's like, I'm going to move here and go here. It's too hot. And they're like, I know it's hot. Everywhere's. And my wife literally looks at me. And just kind of like, just slaps me upside the head without actually hitting me. And she just looks at me, she's like, stop whining. She even said it more aggressive than that. Used a couple different words. But, um, and uh, she was right. I was being a baby and I was whining. And I needed a man up. And uh, what was happening is because I was frustrated and tired, I, I was complaining. It was robbing me of seeing all the good things that God was doing. 
Because really what I was doing outside was playing with my two children in this beautiful home we have in this garden that I've built with all this stuff that's coming to life that God has really created in beautiful creation and squash and things and all these beautiful things and flowers were there. And uh, I was coming inside to get ready to go spend time with friends that I have that I didn't even know when we moved here. And I'm just thinking like, oh, yeah, but here I am complaining because it's hot. Do you understand what I'm saying? How complaining will rob you rob you of recognizing the goodness of God. You know, it's been interesting. Uh, as a church, it's been a really unique season for us. Really unique. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but um, there's been a lot going on in the world, and <laughs> and the church is really no different. Just as everybody else has kind of had to pivot and figure out, like, what they're doing and how they're working, we have also been in the same boat of, like, what does it look like? And the unique thing is, like, when I say the church, I, know, I don't only mean just, like, the entity that is Banner Church— like, you know, like this building or whatever. I mean, like, all of us, we are this church. So, like, everybody else, as you're pivoting, we're, like, collectively moving. This is a really interesting season. And uh, I, I remember, you know, thinking, okay, like, we've been lead pastors for two years. Everybody keeps telling me after two years, you really get your arms around it. And literally, like, COVID hit. And I was, like, called up the guy who told me that. I'm like, I think you were wrong, man. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> um, but I have a great coach, and so we sat down with our coach, and and he's like, listen, man, you got to get three goals for this season. I'm a very goal-oriented person. Like, three goals for this season. What are you guys going to do? How are you going to meet your community? What, what is it going to be? And we're like, doing, 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 doing. We're going to do this. So we sat down with our staff, and I was like, listen, yeah, this sucks. I don't want to hear anybody complaining about it. We're just making it happen. Yeah, you got to wear a mask. I don't want to hear anybody complaining about it. We just got to make it happen. Yeah, we got to do this. Yeah, we got to be online, but, like, let's just make it happen. Yeah, I know we don't own a single camera, but guess what? We'll figure it out. Like, we're going to make it happen. And so we just sat down, and, like, our team, guys, if you don't know this, if you come to Banner Church and you don't know, our team, I know you might see our team and think, man, it's a really young team of ministers, but our team, I've been on some great staffs, full-time paid staffs. Our team is not full-time. Everybody on that team uh, is, a, is a very part-time person, and so they work jobs and work here and serve, and so, like, we got people on our team that were literally coming to Banner Church. They were coming, working all day, and they coming at 7 o'clock at night, and, like, Alex here, he'd get, get here at, like, 7.30. We'd record Nino and all these guys, Marcus. We'd, we'd all come. We'd, like, record till like, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and then Alec would stay till like, 1 o'clock in the morning mixing and mastering and making this so we could have service. It was crazy. It was honestly crazy, and so for, like, months— we just, like, ground it out. And I have to say, I have never been more impressed, uh, I, just enamored, obsessed, excited, and thankful for a group of people like our staff. Aren't they amazing? Can we celebrate them? It's awesome. No, come on. Let's really, like, yeah, come on. Amazing. I got, like, a kids director doing outreaches. I got, you know, a team recording. I have, we have a video team that started up. We are loving the block. We have just, just amazing stuff. Online campus team, like, it was just, we're like, we got to go. We got to make it happen. But, you know, <laughs> um, about, like, a month ago, I was like, man, I think that's it. I think that's all the energy I have. Have you ever gotten to that point? I'm like, that might be it. I'm very motivating. I'm very pumped. And then it was just like, <laughs> Like, I was like, I'm out. I did it. Like, I drug us across the finish line. Like, first day we could, like, meet in person. And then I was like, if someone yells at me about, like, masks or hats or something, I'm just going to lose my mind. Burn this whole thing to the ground. Like, I had, like, no more energy left. And uh, when you're tired, I don't know about you, me, uh, I can sometimes get a little easily frustrated when I'm tired. You know, it's like hangry but with energy in life. <laughs> And so I started to get a little frustrated, a little frustrated how things were. I started complaining a little bit. I started comparing myself uh, to some people, some of our coaches, which is kind of funny because, like, there's a reason they're coaching me and I'm not coaching them. Um, like, they're launching their 12th campus, and I'm just trying to get people to serve. And so I began to get really negative about something that was actually amazing. And God was doing amazing things, and so I had to step back. So I stepped back, and I said, hey, man, let's— Let's look at all that God is doing at Banner Church. I need to step back. I, need to, I know I'm frustrated. I know things aren't easy, but I need to step back and look at all that God has done at Banner Church. So we made a list, and I, I want to share that. Can I share this list with you today? Okay. It's like one and a quarter pages. Here's the list. This is from my team of what God has done online. We launched an online campus with a team to lead it. That's pretty awesome. We have people— 
And you can just keep clapping. I'm going to keep talking. We can just kind of let it all go together. It's cool. Uh, but we have people watching around the world, and we have engagement for, uh, from other states, including people coming to small groups from other states, which is pretty cool. In our first series alone, our Hope and Healing series, just in that series, we had 22 salvations. Most of you ever had. We launched online small groups, which is big for us, online small groups. We have people come from online to attend in person. And we continue to have reoccurring. Some of my favorite people in this church still go to church online, and I love them, and they're so faithful. It takes a lot of faithfulness to go every week online. I got to say, man, if you go every week online because, you know, you have to stay home when you have to be quarantined, like, God bless you. We're thankful for you. Like, we're going to celebrate you like crazy when you get to come back. That's amazing. Okay. Sunday team, we had in this COVID season 60 visitor cards filled out and 22 of those who filled out information. So uh, about a third of those who filled out information are now regular attenders and a lot of them serving in the church. Pretty cool. We've had increase in team members faithfully serving and team members making a step to champion ministries. We've had leadership increase in our Sunday teams. The team is learning to grow together, study resources and books, and having the enthusiasm. This is what the, uh, Katie wrote in the Sunday team. Enthusiasm and excitement for all God is doing in the lives of people who walk in on Sunday. Pretty awesome. Small groups. Okay. During COVID, we took all small groups and put them online, which we had never done. Now I feel like we kind of all know Zoom. When it started, I was like, let's just like, dude, whatever is the free thing that we can do to get people together and then we just kind of like clunkily bounced our way through it and then we figured it out and then rocked it out and I was so impressed by our small groups team but uh, overall in these two these two semesters that we've had 19 small groups and 173 people involved in small group ministry pretty awesome I love hearing from our kids' ministry. Our kids are memorizing scripture. I love hearing that we have these, like, shy kids in the kids' ministry. They're breaking out and singing and dancing and learning and growing and having fun. But it's been amazing. We, uh, Delaney started a parent council during this time to do these once-a-month gatherings and really, like, cast vision and have a heart for building up the kids' ministry, that it's not babysitting. It's coming alongside parents to see God do a work in the life of your family. And it's been incredible to see all the events they've done and the things they've planned. Delaney was terrified that we're going to come back and no kids are going to be here. And it was going to be like when we started because it was like just our kid. Um, <laughs> there was one. When we started, there was one kid. Um, and it was mine. I guess there would be two now, so hey. Um, but that we have averaged 23 kids on a Sunday now, which is awesome. Let's celebrate it. Okay. Let's keep going. This is all my take a step back, stop complaining, look at the goodness of God list. Men, we, we never really had like a men's uh, fully kind of fledged ministry, but uh, Dave Barry has uh, taken the mantle of men's ministry. Uh, he's led a men's small group each semester, so we've had about 25 guys connecting at two different times through men's ministry. Uh, and he's had men really take that step of leadership in the church and in family, which has been awesome. Okay, our worship team went fully online. I love this. Our worship team had to learn to not only build a film team, learn how to live stream, learn what live stream even is, get it all installed, find a way to get people to donate, to pay for it. But then we had to get it all installed while also filming the other services. And our worship team, I kid you not, learned how to multi-channel mix down, which is great for recording music as we go forward, because we're learning all these skills, you know, scarcity breeds ingenuity here. Learned how to record all these things, and then obviously had to mix and master and put them online and then upload it and all this stuff. It's pretty amazing. Um, but we've had a full worship team all the way through COVID. We've added, I think, like six musicians to the worship team and more adding. And we have a specific role now, finally, overseeing that Patrick's doing, is overseeing all of our tech and lighting and sound and we launched a creative team that also is expanding that space of learning how to be creative and grow that we're excited to see. I think they're meeting this next month, which is pretty awesome. Okay, two more. Two more things. Financially. People are always like, how's the church doing? They're asking me, how's the church doing? And I want to say, uh, at the beginning of COVID, I was very unsure because we worked really hard to steward our finances well. I take the finance of this church very personally. Um, and no, it's not because I pocked a lot of money and sent my kid to a private school. That's not a thing. Trust me. Your kid can go to the same public school my kid goes to. Um, but we... Uh, 
we were at the beginning, we're like, man, we're unsure, but I, I sat down with our board. We have a financial accountability board. We meet every other month. I said, hey, we're going to meet every month, and we're going to steward our finances. And the reality is at the beginning, I feel like God's calling us to be generous, so we're just going to be generous. And we're going to trust that God is going to be generous to us. We're going to be wise because we're stewarding people's tithes, but we're going to be generous. Um, and generosity is wisdom. And so what's been amazing is in this season, just COVID, we've given $26,000 to missions, benevolence, and outreach. I've given out. $26,000. We're not even halfway through the year, so we're rocking it. Not even halfway. Um, we've paid electric, gas, and water bills. We've paid car payments and car insurance. We've paid rent of various forms. We support, we've supported 36 missionaries around the world, including Chi Alpha and U.S. missions, and added missionaries actually this year because not everybody can support all their missionaries. So we have supported, like, well, every continent in the world uh, and a lot of countries. And a lot of countries that are closed off, some of the reasons we can't talk about the missionaries we support is because you can't mention Christ in those countries. And actually, we have a really awesome missionary coming to speak in January. I'm really excited about Marissa, who came from this church, so talented. But uh, finally, love the block. So we felt like, man, God was calling us in this season as crazy as it sounded, and as much as we're trying to really stay tight on our budget, and as maybe as tired as the team is, I felt like, you know what, in a season, God is calling us out to be more intentional and missional. And so we decided, my wife and I, every Thursday, we're going to take our two kids, and whoever wants to join us, right over here into our neighbors and we're just going to love on them in every possible way. We're going to give out food and home goods. We're going to give out gifts and care. We're going to invest in their lives. We're going to pray healing over them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to uh, believe that Christ will transform them. And, and above all, we've seen people led to Christ. We've had the chance to pray for people. We've had the chance to speak life into them and encourage them, which is our heart. And it's begun this process of what we moved down here originally with the deep passion for is that every block in our city would have a group of people under the banner of Jesus Christ that would be caring for them intimately and personally to know their needs, to sit with them, to walk through life with their family and believe for the transformation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can celebrate that. Yeah, that's the big one. Amen. I say that to say, it didn't look like I expected, but sometimes you got to take a step back from your situation, from your season, from your struggle, to really begin to understand and look at the goodness of God, because so many things will begin to distract from it, and yet God is good. I bet if you really took a second to count your blessings and to look at the Lord, you would be amazed. If we could just remove those snares, remove those distractions, we would look and say, man, God is good. It didn't look like I thought it would. Some of you are in that season. It doesn't look like I thought it would. It doesn't look like I expected that it would look. You know what? My year has not gone like I planned. I got a dream journal, did a dream board. None of this looks like what I planned. But guess what? God is still good. God is still good. It's been a good season for my family and a hard season for my family, but God is still good. So I've been praying, and I want to invite you to pray with me. God, give me perspective to see your goodness regardless of my situation. God, give me perspective to see your goodness regardless of my circumstances. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we live aware of God's goodness even in tough circumstances? I want to I share three things with you. Good? Three things? Okay. Three things real quick. One is look for his goodness. Number one, look for his goodness. I'm going to give you three ways to look. You ready? Look up. Okay, immediately you're going to think, look to the sky. That, that is true. Look to the heavens. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Very true. But what I mean is look up in a different way. I mean, uh, when I go, I love to go fly fishing. And uh, this happens even when you hike. I don't know if you notice it. But you're trying to go somewhere, and so you're always looking down so you don't trip, so you don't fall, right? Have you ever hiked somewhere beautiful, and you spent half the time just making sure you don't eat it because it's loose stones? And so you're walking carefully, but you realize you've spent 90% of the day like this, hunched over, trying not to fall. Look up to me. It's like, look at what God has made. And I fish in some of the most beautiful places. And I, sometimes I look up and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. My wife and I were fishing this creek up north. And I was like, man, just look up. I know we've been walking, trying not to fall. But look up at what God is doing. Look at where we've hiked to. We've hiked to this creek. We're, we're catching native brown trout in the middle of nowhere. There's not a person around, right? And here we are fly fishing in this little tiny creek. Like, we're just seeing the craziest nature. I saw a snake catch a fish. It was bananas. 
that's not cool to you? That was awesome. And I, I just think, like, look up. How often in our life have we been so so questioning and so wondering, so working through, hoping that we could discover the, God, the goodness of God as we're working through life, that we don't look up and see his goodness all around. Look at creation. Go out into creation. Go out and look. Go out and see what God has done. Scripture tells us the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. What he has made is good. Okay, look up, look around. This is a big one. Look at who God has brought in your life. For in this church, look around at people. They actually could care for you if you let them. Look around. Look around who God has brought. Some of us, I think, we, we spend a little too much time on Facebook at the memories of people who are gone that we forget to connect into the great relationships that are here now. Look around. Who's in your life? Is it a coworker? Is it someone at church? Is it someone in the lobby that you walk by every time? But man, what if you just struck up a conversation? Get your mask on. Do your thing. Whatever you need to do. But what if that happened? What if you're online and maybe today you normally just click in, you click out, but today you requested live prayer and one of our hosts connected with you and thought, man, there's something God wants to do in your life. If you would go deeper, just look around. You might feel alone. You might feel distant, but you don't have to be distant from relationships and what God wants to do. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Man, community is a blessing. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of community. Take advantage of opportunity. Take advantage of connecting. Okay, third thing is look in. Take a look at your life. Take a look at your soul. Look in. So look up, lift your head up, look around, see who's around, and also look in. Did you know this? That if you look into your heart and you look at the state of the redemption of your soul, you have enough right there to praise God for his goodness. Because sin separated us from the goodness of God. God did not separate us from him. Sin separated us from a relationship with God. Our sin, our rebellion, our selfishness. And so Jesus came. God sent his son to die for us so that we might be restored into relationship. I don't know what you've heard, but hear me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father but by him. The only way to God is through his son, Jesus Christ, who loved you and took, we talked about relational risk, took the greatest relational risk you can take in dying for you in the hopes that you might believe in him and in so be restored to your purpose and experience the miracle of a new life in Christ. Look in. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us and that while we were, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Salvation is greater than the struggles of my situation. It's greater than what I'm facing. It's greater than what I've done. God's goodness. Look in. Okay, so not only look for his goodness, number one. Number two, recount his goodness. That word recount comes from Psalm 9-1. This is an important one for me. I'm just going through the steps that I went through. Psalm 9-1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. The word there, recount, literally means to inform with evidence, meaning I will take stock of what, you will done, what you've done, and then I will make it known. I will inform with evidence. I will recount your deeds. You know, uh, when we do an election and there's a recount, that means tally up again, see what's here, maybe we missed something. I think in our life, sometimes we need to do that, step back and just tally it up again, see if we missed something. See if we miss a little bit of the grace of God. See if we miss the mercy. Yeah, maybe we're in a season where we couldn't pay our bills and someone stepped in to pay for us. Yeah, that's tragic that we couldn't pay the bills, but maybe the blessing and the goodness is that someone did it for you. Yeah, we couldn't pay for our own sins and we lived in brokenness and sin, but maybe the goodness is that it was paid for you. Recount, recall. When I uh, do discipleship with men, we're going through uh, individually, but we're all going through the same book, just separately. Um, it talks about making a list of your blessings. Make a list of a hundred blessings. Make a list. That's the most practical way I can think of. Make a list to recount his goodness. Uh, he, let me give you a couple from my list. My church. That's a big one. Air conditioning. Some of these are more trivial than others. Cold rivers. Wild horses. My kids playing together nicely. Conversations. Soil. My wife, 
These are things that I, I count as both blessings and privileges that I recognize the goodness of God within. Some of those are highly complex. Some of them are just things I thought of that day. Make a list. That's really practical. Recount the ways in which God has been good. Recall the ways in which God's goodness is, is displayed, not only in the providence in your life, but just in creation. When was the last time you recognized, like, man, God does beautiful things? And if he does beautiful things in creation, he can do beautiful things in my life. Okay, third and final thing, band, you can come up. Third and final thing, this is like the most important, the most important. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Did you know that worship is not a placeholder? Did you know that you were created to worship? This is crazy. So like bees were created to buzz and fly, and like bears were created to, you know, get honey and eat salmon and roar. You were created to worship. That's your purpose. Now, I'm not talking about like style. Maybe you have a different style preference. That's what I'm talking about. You were created to glorify God in a relationship with Him. To worship Him with your heart, mind, body, and soul. And one of the ways that we worship is through the musical act of worship. It is one of the most important ways that we focus our heart on God's goodness in all seasons. Psalm 34, 1 through 10. This is, a, this is an expansion on the verse I read at the beginning. So let me read you the whole thing. It's, it's so beautiful. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Okay, let me pause here. Because you think like, yeah, that sounds great. That was written by David. He was a king. I'm not a king. I'm broke. Well, let me tell you, this was written when David had to pretend to be crazy so he wouldn't be murdered. So this is not written from the mountaintop. This is written in the valley. So if you're in the valley and you think this is disingenuous to your suffering, hear me say, no, it's just the perfect response to it. So here's what he says. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 8, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David in a cave hunted by Saul knew something that if we could grasp, I think it would change our life, is that God's goodness transcends our situation. And so through worship, we refocus our heart on him and his character, not just our circumstances. We lift our head from what we've been struggling not to fall in, and we look at the beauty and majesty of who God is. And it doesn't minimize our hurt. It doesn't minimize our situation. It doesn't minimize anything. It doesn't minimize the politics in our country. It doesn't minimize COVID. It just maximizes the authority and position and promises of God. And it's not that that ever changes either. The gap here is our perspective. It changes our perspective to recognize God and all that he does. And that happens in worship. The band's going to lead us here in a song, Goodness of God. I love this song. Before we do, I just want to tell you a quick story. Horatio Spafford, he was a lawyer in Chicago in the 1800s. And he uh, invested into a lot of land. And in the great fire of Chicago in the 1800s, it came through and destroyed all of his investments. So he went from being like pretty well off to being financially devastated. So Horatio Spafford decides that him and his wife are going to go and their four daughters are going go to Eng are gonna go to Europe and travel because Chicago's on fire. And so they're preparing to go and he has to stay and deal with some work because of his properties and because of the fire. So he sends his wife and his four kids ahead of him. And so they're crossing the boat, going to Europe, and about halfway across, they have a collision with another ship and the boat sinks. And Horatio Spafford, who's back at Chicago, gets a telegram from his wife and it says two words. It says, survived alone. And in that moment, He's devastated, obviously. Not only has he lost everything financially, but he's lost his children. So Horatio gets on a boat to go to Europe to meet his wife. And as he's traveling over the piece of water where his uh, daughters died, he has the captain stop. And he writes probably what is one of the most famous hymns, It is well with my soul. 
sitting on the place of great tragedy. He recognizes the goodness of God that still remains because of God's character that transcends and can lift him and help him endure and give him hope even in the midst of his suffering. He writes, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I think this is beautiful. Recognizing the goodness of God does not minimize your suffering. It is what lifts your soul amidst suffering. It is what gives us hope in hard times. It's what, it's what renews us when we feel weak. It's what strengthens us when we feel like we're falling apart. That's the goodness of God. There's many things that try to steal our attention, but can I encourage you today to fix your eyes and trust in the Lord who is greater than your circumstance and the knowledge that He is good and allow Him to minister to your heart, to renew and strengthen you. And I promise as we worship and as we do, if you make that step, I believe that the Lord will begin to reveal more of His heart to you and His goodness and encourage you and to lift you up. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? You can bow your head and close your eyes with me. Just give us a second to focus our hearts and minds together. The band's going to lead us in the song, and then we'll be done this morning. But my closing is this. It's not an altar response, though the altar is always open and is open to you to pray at any point to respond. But my response is simply this, with your eyes closed and your head bowed that you might worship the Lord for his goodness and in so doing, become aware of his great love for you. That in recognizing the goodness of God, you might reject the things that draw away your attention and experience his great love for you. And that regardless of your circumstances, that you would receive not human strength or might or will, but you would receive the strength that comes from the Lord. And saying today, God, I trust you. And in your goodness, regardless of my circumstances, would you reveal your goodness to me as I worship you? I want to pray for you this morning. Before we jump into that, every eye closed, every head bow. You've never experienced the goodness of God because, or at least to your knowledge, you're not aware of it. Because you've never made that decision to give him your life. And to pursue him with your heart. And to say yes to Jesus. And in these moments, usually your attention is drawn by nagging doubt, uncertainty, even past hurt. And yet God is calling you to this moment. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says, yet God has redeemed us all, and through his blood we are saved. It says, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. We're a new creation through Christ Jesus. So this morning, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, you never experienced the hope and the healing that comes through him, now is your moment to simply say yes to Jesus and begin an amazing and powerful journey. But it begins with one yes. A yes that says, yes, I repent of my sin. I lay my heart before you, Lord, and I choose today to follow you with my life as my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If that's you, with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're in person or you're online, would you just raise your hand and put it back down this morning? I want to pray for you this morning. God, you see every heart that's made that decision to say yes to you. And so I pray right now, I pray right now that every sin will be repented and every life will be laid down and every heart will be restored. We thank you, God, that for every life that commits to you, God, that you lift and you restore into the perfect, beautiful relationship you intended and that there is hope for every future and healing for every past. And God, I thank you that every person, every person who says yes to you can experience the freedom and the power of the new life that comes from you, Jesus Christ. So I pray this morning, though, it may be a journey of many yeses. I pray this morning for every heart that says, I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
going to invite you then in this moment. The band's going to lead us. And as we do, can we do this together? Can we begin to say, God, I trust you. God, I trust in your goodness. God, give me eyes to see. And I encourage you, don't rush out from this moment. Don't run away from this space. Don't close off. Don't get distracted. But press into this worshipful moment and say, God, would you reveal your goodness to me? Open my heart to your goodness and your truth. Let's worship together in Jesus' name.